this is our first service having everybody together at once, and it, I, I've got to say, I like it. I like it. Um, I need you all to help me with some things, though. Uh, we may have some people trickle in uh, uh, while the sermon's going on. If you have room toward the middle of your pew and you see somebody come in, if you could uh, very carefully just scoot over and let them in, invite them to sit with you, the last thing we want is for people to feel like they've got to walk all the way down to the front to get a place to sit. So be a help uh, to us with that if you can. Luke chapter 22, stand with me if you can for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verse 31 down through verse number 34. Um, and we'll read these responsibly. We'll read the even verses out loud together. The Bible says there in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt deny, thrice deny that thou knowest me. And we're going to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, When Satan Sifts You. When Satan Sifts You. Let's, let's pray. God, I ask today that you help me to have clarity of mind. And Lord, that I would preach your word accurately, precisely, concisely. And then, Lord, that the sermon today would make sense. Uh, that the sermon not only would make sense, but would help many, many people here today. And Lord... Um, the sermon today is as much for me as it is anybody in the room. And so, God, I pray that um, you'd lift me up uh, through the preaching of your word and encourage my spirit. And, Lord, I pray today for those that are going through a very hard time in their life. Many people hear that way. God, the sermon would just inject a little bit of hope into them. And, Lord, give them a plan, a plan for their future. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. At the beginning of Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus now in and around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in the daytime, he is teaching in the temple. And in the evening, he is uh, going across the valley of Jehoshaphat over to the Mount of Olives, spending his evenings there in the Mount of Olives. From there, Judas, the Bible tells us in Luke 22, that Judas turns himself over to satanic possession and makes a dirty deal with the, the scribes and the Pharisees to give up the location of Jesus with the cover of the night. After we uh, read about that in Luke, Luke 22, we find that Jesus sends Peter and John into the city. Into the city he goes to search for a man who is carrying a pitcher of water. Uh, there they follow this man to a house and they ask the good men of the house, the, the, the phrase in the Bible, the Master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And so Peter and John follow this man uh, into the home and uh, there they are showed in the upper room where they go and they make the room ready uh, for Jesus to have the Last Supper with His disciples. Jesus had barely finished distributing that bread of remembrance and that vine juice of remembrance when he declared that one of the twelve would betray him. One of the twelve would betray him. He barely even finished the words, drink this in remembrance of me, and the stirring up of the room by saying, somebody in here, somebody in here will deny me. 
Somebody in here will betray me. And that sparked a great discussion amongst the twelve about who it would be. You may remember in other passages where Jesus says, I'm going to dip the sop and hand it. Uh, you may remember that. The clueless disciples did not pick up on, uh, on that and had no idea even who it was. And in this discussion of the denial of it being, well, it's not me, it's not me, another discussion breaks out of who is the greatest disciple in the room. And, uh, well, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And, uh, uh, Jesus interrupts their, their one-upping each other with, uh, guys, let me remind you how to be the greatest. We've gone over this before, but to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. He said, who is greater, he that sits or he that serves? He said, society will tell you it's he that sits and gets served. I'm here to tell you that I came to serve. I believe it's at this point that Jesus got down with the towel and washed the feet of the disciples. Washed the feet of the disciples. Somewhere in that process, somewhere after all of this, look at verse 31 with me. Jesus turns to Peter and he says this. He says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, my guess, my speculation, after reading the New Testament through many times and studying the characters that follow Jesus, my guess is that Peter was probably right at the center of the conversation of who the greatest disciple was. Just my guess. Don't know that for sure. We'll get to heaven, we'll find out. But, uh, but probably Peter was bragging about being the greatest disciple. Probably. And uh, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. What is it like to have Satan sift you? What does that even mean? We don't use the word sift in everyday language. We don't talk about sifting someone. This morning, I would like for us to look at five thoughts, five thoughts about the challenge of Jesus to Simon Peter and consider how that he, uh, that we may both survive the sifting and help our siblings in Christ that are being sifted. Let's jump right in today and look at this. Number one, notice the process of sifting wheat. The process of sifting wheat. Again, verse 31, Satan hath desired to have you, Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. So what is the process of old time sifting? Now, i got to say that if you go and you look at, uh, almost everything's on YouTube, right? If you go and you look at YouTube and you uh, try to figure out, um, you try to figure out how to sift today, what you find is that there's a very modern process. But that modern process didn't exist during Jesus' time. It was a very uh, 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 barbaric, uh, archaic type of doing that letter A notice. First, you must beat the wheat. First, you must beat the wheat. They would take uh, and lay the wheat that had been gathered out of the field and they would lay it down on a hardened floor, whether that was a concrete floor or a, a dirt path that had been, uh, where the soil had been pressed down where it was hard. They would lay that wheat there on the floor and they would use an instrument called a flail, called a flail, and they would beat the wheat. Go ahead and put the picture up there for me. They would beat the wheat. They would lay that wheat there and they would use a flail and they would beat the wheat. Now, I can't help but to just pause here and say, doesn't that remind you of something that happened to someone that we all love? Doesn't that look like maybe what happened to Jesus when He was beat with the cat of nine tails? They would use a flail and they would beat out 
the wheat uh, uh, grains away from the stalk. And uh, they would then push away the stalks and they would be left with nothing but the wheat and then something called the chaff or the little pieces of uh, flakes from the, 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 uh, the, the stalks that were left behind. Notice letter B. Second, you must blow away the chaff. You must blow away the chaff. Now, in Bible times, they would get do this up on top of a hill and they would throw the wheat up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the heavier wheat would fall back to the ground. So they'd throw the wheat up in the air and the chaff would blow it out. In today's age, what we do is we set up a box fan on a couple of concrete, uh, this is if you're doing it at home, uh, a couple of concrete blocks and you turn it on about half speed and you dump the wheat out uh, from one container to another and the box fan will blow that chaff away and they'll do that several times at different speeds until they have gotten it all out. And so you can throw that next picture up there for me as well. Uh, You can see there the man's throwing the wheat up in the air and the wind's going to carry the chaff away and then the wheat will fall back down to the ground. And you say, well, what is the purpose of sifting the wheat? In a word, it is separation. It is separation. They want the chaff to be separated, separated from the wheat. The Bible says that Satan wanted Peter so that he could sift him. He could sift him as wheat. He could separate the faith from the heart of the man. He could bring him down to fleshly base desires. Number two, we see the people Satan sifts. The people Satan sifts. Look at me back at uh, verse 31 there. Simon, Simon, the Bible says, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You might stop here in a minute and say, Well, Pastor, wasn't Peter saved at this point? And I believe that Peter was saved. I do. Uh, Peter said, you may remember back in John 6, when the crowds uh, uh, turned and left Jesus, and Peter turns and he says, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. And remember that Jesus turned to Peter and He said, It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this unto thee, but it was My Father in heaven. It was My Father in heaven. Peter was saved, but Satan wanted Peter. Satan wanted him. Satan wanted to get his hands on him, and Satan wanted to hurt him. Letter A, let's look at some biblical examples of this. Peter isn't the only person in the Bible that uh, that Satan went after, that Satan sifted. Uh, I'm going to give you two Old Testament examples and two uh, New Testament examples. First, you may remember Job. Job might be the most obvious one uh, uh, that this happened to. You may remember Job. Uh, uh, you remember that God says to Satan there in the meeting, He says, uh, uh, Have you considered my servant Job? That he's perfect and right. He eschews or hates evil. And Satan said, Well, that's just because you have a fence around him and you won't let me get to him, but let me touch him and he will curse you. And uh, God says, Okay, go ahead and, and touch him. Take away everything he has, but don't touch him. Don't touch him. And so takes away his children, takes away his wealth, all of it, in just a, a matter of a half a day probably, even less than that. It's all gone. And the Bible tells us that Job fell on his face and he worshipped the Lord. The next meeting there that Satan has with uh, with God, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he's perfect in writing, excuse evil. And he said, let me touch him and he will curse you. He will curse you. He said, okay, you can touch him, just don't kill him. And great boils sweep over him from head to toe. He is laying at the city dump, scraping it, uh, his boils, the pus out of his boils with a piece of pottery. 
yet he still does not curse God. Satan was sifting Job. He was trying to separate the faith from the heart of the man. How about Ruth? Ruth is maybe one we don't think of too often, but uh, Ruth married either Malon or Chilion. You might remember the story there in the book of Ruth, and uh, was the daughter-in-law of Naomi, you may remember. And uh, Ruth, I believe, must have been converted by Malon or Chilion as a Moabitess young lady and became a Jew there. If she didn't become a Jew in her marriage, she became a Jew uh, in her widowship when she looked at her mother-in-law and she said, Your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. And she follows Naomi back home. Satan sifting her, allowing the husband to die. And here's a mistake I think a lot of us make. I think a lot of us make this mistake. We know the stories of the Bible because we've heard them in Sunday school from the time we were little. But oftentimes we separate the emotion that the people must have felt while they were going through that. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Ruth? To have your husband die at such a young age? I went to college with a young man and a young lady who were married, and shortly after they were married, it was found out that he had cancer. I believe he grew up in the state of New Jersey. And, and he died and left his wife a widow, and she was brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. My sister-in-law moved in to uh, live with a uh, young lady who uh, was uh, on the mission field and her husband fell from a two-story apartment building and died and left her a widow after only being married a short time. And that young lady, she grieved and she grieved and she grieved. In fact, it's been a couple of years now and the truth is she's still grieving. She's still grieving. For Ruth, Satan was sifting her in her newfound faith during this time. And the mother-in-law said, I'm going back to my people. Go on back to your gods. And she said, no, because my conversion was genuine and real. My faith will not be sifted from me. My faith will not be taken from me. I'm all in on loving God. I'm thankful that Ruth stood. I'm thankful that Job stood. How about in the New Testament? We talked about Peter, and we'll look at that him in greater depth here in a minute, talking about how Peter, Satan did sift Peter. We'll look at the circumstances around that in just a moment. But let me talk a minute about Jesus. Jesus, who was God on earth, it would have been impossible for Satan to rip the faith away from Jesus because Jesus is the Word. Jesus is truth. That can't be done, but that sure didn't keep Satan from trying, did it? You may remember John 4 in the, in the wilderness came to him three times and tempted him to sin in the same three types of ways that he comes after us. And he, he, he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And then the greatest sifting of Jesus came shortly after here in Luke 22, later in the chapter, where Jesus would be arrested by night. He would be taken and literally beaten. Literally beaten. Let me just stop and ask you this question this morning. Why would God leave heaven and come to earth and walk amongst us and then allow an inferior man to butcher him on a cross if you could be good enough to get there all on your own? Why would He do that? What what, what was that about? What in the world is that right there, that cross that, that hangs behind my head while I preach? It's found in almost every evangelical church around the world. What is that cross represent? Why would Jesus do that if I could work my way to heaven? My friend, you can't work your way to heaven. 
Yesterday I sat on some stairs next to uh, a man who was intoxicated and wasn't sure of his level of intoxication when I first started talking to him, but found out later that he was too intoxicated to be able to understand the gospel and be saved. In that process, I sat next to him and I, I asked him if he was a sinner and he was quick to admit that. Can I tell you today that while he was intoxicated and struggling with drugs and other things, you say, I've never had a sip of alcohol. You know what? I haven't either, but I'm a sinner. I've never smoked a cigarette, but I've lied. I've lied. I, I've, never, I've never cheated on my wife, but I've stolen things before. And so have you. You know, the truth is today, the truth is we're all sinners. You say, well, I'm less of a sinner than that guy. Here's the best way I know how to put that. For you to make it to heaven based on your righteousness, it would be equivalent to you jumping over the Atlantic Ocean. Now, I could go get the guy in the Olympics from a couple of years ago that won the, the long jump competition. And I could put him on the shore next to me. And I could run and jump. And I might make it all of four or five inches. I don't know how far to make it. Four or five feet. He might make it 15 feet. But in the, in the gulf, in the span of the Atlantic Oceans, those waters, it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter. You can't jump your way to heaven with your righteousness. You fall short. This man I talked to yesterday, he admitted he was a sinner, but he did not admit that he deserved hell. And I would ask you this, if uh, someone committed a great crime, and the judge said, I'm just a loving judge, and I, I can't punish you because I'm loving, I'm going to let you go free. And you'd say, no, what about the people that were violated? What about love for them? That justice serves as love for someone else. And you see, God hates your sin. God laid out the sentencing right away. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, the mother and father of all living, uh, 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 all of our ancestor, if you eat the fruit, Adam and Eve, you will die. You sh- thou shalt surely die. They ate the fruit. They were condemned. And through their condemnation, we're condemned. Why did Jesus come to earth, live amongst inferior man, allow them to beat Him and hang Him on a cross, so that His Father in heaven could look ahead in time and find you, and find your sin, and lay it on Jesus. And Jesus could die in your place. He could go through hell on your behalf. Now, the negative side to all this is that Satan was sifting Jesus through this process of hanging Him on the cross. But the positive side is that he failed. He failed. And in the birth of Jesus, rather rather in the death of Jesus, uh, our sins are taken away. In his resurrection, we can be given a new birth in Christ. You can be given salvation to him. The people that Satan sifts. Let me ask you a question this morning. If Job can be sifted, and Ruth can be sifted, and Peter can be sifted, and Jesus can be sifted, do you think that you can be sifted? you think Satan may come after you? Letter B, let me give you some personal examples. Some personal examples. When I say personal examples, I don't mean my stories, alright? I mean you and I. Oop, there goes the cap. You and I. Our personal examples. Let me, let me give you two, uh, two types of individuals in this room that Satan's going to go after. First, no, notice those with great potential. Those with great potential. Now, you may note that 
Jesus did not look at the disciples as a group and say, Disciples, disciples. Satan hath desired to have the, or uh, all of you, that he may sift you as wheat. That's not what he said. He looked right at Peter. And he said, Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift you as wheat. Why was it that Satan was going to go right after Peter, but not Bartholomew, or not Thomas, or not John, or the rest of them? Because because Satan knew that Peter was the leader. Peter was the leader of the bunch. And if he could bring down the leader, boy, he sure could discourage the others. I'm a big sports fan, love sports. I've had less time to watch sports since I've become your pastor than at any point in my life, but that's okay. That's alright. Um, the sports world in this country, it is vast and far-reaching. It is complicated. You may think that they go out on Sunday afternoon and they, they just run into each other and they, there's a ball of dust and the ball goes down the field and in the end zone and, and that might be all the thought you've gone, uh, given to it. But can I tell you that millions and millions of dollars every year is spent on something called scouting. Scouting. What is that? A scout will uh, uh, work for a team. And what that scout's good at is evaluating raw talent on an inferior playing field. And so you'll have some scout show up at a baseball, high school game, uh, baseball diamond, or a, a high school football game, maybe a college football game from the pros. Uh, you'll have scouts that go down and watch minor league baseball games and they sit there and they generally look like a nerd and they've got a, a notebook and they've got a pencil anymore. They might have an iPad. And what are they doing? They're taking notes. They're looking at the team and they're figuring out which player on that team has the most potential to make it on a more superior playing field. And Satan has his scouts. He has his scouts. He's looking amongst you all to see who in the bunch, who in the crowd has the greatest potential. And my friend, he's going to come after you. You say, I haven't done anything yet. Satan knows that, boy, if you catch fire for the Lord, you may do something great. And he's going to make sure you don't catch fire. He's going to make sure you don't catch fire. He's looking for those with great potential. And to that I would say, you feel like Satan's sifting you? Maybe you should take that as a compliment. We mope around with our head down and Satan's, Satan's oppressing me. Satan's attacking me. Hey, listen, maybe you ought to step back and say, praise the Lord. Satan sees something in me I haven't even yet seen in myself. It's hard for us to um, uh, look back at a story in the Bible and separate, uh, to, to cut things off. For instance... At this point, we know that Peter's going to go deny Christ three times. We know he's going to go out and weep bitterly. We know Jesus is going to restore him by the campfire uh, in the end of, uh, story there in the end of John. And then we know Peter's going to go on and preach Pentecost. But Peter did not know those things. Here in the upper room, Peter has been a disciple for three years. He's been learning for three years. He's been in the classroom for three years. He hasn't done anything great. Oh, but, Peter, but Satan can see it in Peter. And Satan is going to unleash an assault on him. The second crowd I wrote down that Satan goes after is those with godly poise. Those with godly poise. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago in the sermon I preached about temptation that um, Satan doesn't go after everybody. If you are a slave to your own sinful flesh, 
Satan doesn't need to be worried about you because you're just tripped up by your own flesh. We talked about how that Satan's not going to go after you necessarily if the world trips you up. If you can't walk down the street without having a conversation with the wrong crowd or stopping in at the bar to get a drink or whatever it is that, uh, that you do that is a violation of Scripture and the world is constantly tripping you up, if the flesh or the world has gotten you, then Satan doesn't need to worry about you. But you might be one of those Christians here today that you get up every morning and you read your Bible, you get up every morning and you pray, you get up every day and you text uh, people, call them and make sure they know that you love them and you're praying for them. You may have all the Christian character things down and it may be that you are doing great damage to the cause of, uh, of Satan, the, the causes that Satan has. And it, it may be that you're uh, creating great hurt there and Satan now, he sees the godly poise you live your life with and he's going to bring things into your life that hurt you. He's going to bring things in your life that discourage you. He's going to bring things in your life that distract you. Why? Because Satan is trying to win this this war between him and God. And he sees you as being someone who is hurting his cause on the other side. Now that I would say that when Satan is sifting you, my friend, step back and say, thank you Lord that I am either making an impact for God or that I have the potential to make Great impact for God. Before we move on to point number three, I'll say this here as well, that I don't think it's just individual Satan sifts. I think he sifts churches. Then he looks at a whole church and says, if I can bring great problems on them, boy, that will set them way back. Set them way back. And if that is happening ever at our church, I'd say... There is a good and bad of that. No one likes to have Satan sip them, beat on them, and, and, and try to throw them up in the air and get the chaff to blow away, or the, the faith to blow away is what Satan's after. But I've got to say that I would rather there be a reverse effect. You see, whatever's heavier in your heart is going to stay. If Satan's throwing you up in the air and your faith is heavier than your sin, then the faith is going to fall and the sin's going to blow out. You with me here? But if your sin is heavier than your faith, then the sin's going to fall and the faith's going to blow out. And so there can be a positive side to Satan sifting us. Number three, let's look at the plan that Satan has. The plan that Satan has. Let's look at letter A there. He wants distance. Look at me at Luke chapter 22. Glance down at verse 54. He wants distance. Luke 22:54. Jesus has been arrested. He's being led away to the chief priest to be uh, go through his mock trial. Verse 54. Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Speaking of Jesus, look what it says about Peter. And Peter followed afar off. Peter followed afar off. Notice that Peter's direction was right, but his distance was wrong. His direction was right, but his distance was wrong. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to distance Peter from Jesus. For three and a half years, Peter had walked side by side with Jesus. He had slept near Him. He had eaten every meal just about with Him. He had walked with Him. He had talked with Him. He had been discipled by Him. And now, Peter, God, Satan is seeking to pull Peter away from Jesus. And so, Peter, in his fear, he has the right direction, but he has the wrong distance. He has the wrong distance. You know, um, Satan doesn't look at someone like me or you and say that my goal is by tomorrow morning to get them to wake up and say, I don't believe in God anymore. You know, there are pastors 
that are converted atheists? I mean Baptist pastors that are converted atheists. I've got a couple of faces running through my head right now of people I've worked with in past ministries. On fire for God. One of them even a Bible college student. Pronounced converted atheist today. You know, that didn't happen in one day. You say, oh pastor, I'm never going to be an atheist. I hope not. Satan's not going to try to get you there tomorrow. You know what Satan's first step for you is? He wants to distance you from God. You see, you're going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He wants to put some distance there. How about you just drop off on Wednesday nights? Just drop off on Wednesday nights. Not a big deal. Just drop off on Wednesday nights. Hey, you know what? You're tired on Wednesday. You work so hard, there's no reason for you to go. Hey, that overtime they're offering you, boy, that sure would make things a little more comfortable at home with work. Uh, skip Wednesday night. And then it goes from Wednesday night to Sunday night. And then it goes from Sunday night to Sunday school. Then it goes from Sunday school to Sunday morning. And now you're every other week, once a month. The next thing you know, he's put distance between you and your God. You're not going to church. You may be getting up every day and reading your Bible and praying. Things start going rough in your life and Satan's not trying to get you to say that you don't believe the Bible anymore, but he is trying to get you to stop reading your Bible. So you go from reading your Bible every day to you miss a day. Then you get back on track and you miss two days. Then maybe you only read it three days in a week. Then you're reading it once a week. You know what Satan's trying to do very subtly? He's trying to put distance between you and your God. Oh, your direction's still right. You're still facing the right direction. You still claim to believe God. You still do the lip service thing that you are a confessing Christian. But Satan's doing to you what he did to Peter. He's following, but he's following afar off. Be careful. Be careful. Satan might be sifting you. Others of you here, it isn't that you are going to quit going to church because that is your habit. You've been going to church your whole life. You've been going to church for 20 or 30 years. You've been going to church a long time. You're not going to quit going to church. But maybe you kind of turn the pastor off a little bit. You turn the Sunday school teacher off a little bit. And now it's just a religious ritual. Your direction's right. Your direction's right. Your distance is wrong. Letter B, we see next he seeks a denial. Next he seeks a denial. Remember, Satan wants any little bit of ground he can get with you, and then he's going to look to get a little more. Look down at verse 55 of Luke chapter 22. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid, this is a little girl, a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. Look at verse 57. And he denied him, saying, Woman... I know him not. This little maid looks up at Jesus and says, or looks up at Peter and says, "You, you are with Jesus." Now, the assumption is that there must have been other adults around. I don't know. I don't think it says it there. But he looks at this little girl and he says, "Nope, not me. Who me? Jesus? No, no. I never met him. I, 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 I mean, I know much, much about him as you do." Verse, 50, verse 58 there. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. 
And about the space of one hour, another uh, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with them, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. Another version of uh, the story in another gospel says that he actually began to curse here. He began to curse here. And immediately while he yet spake the cock crew. So Jesus told Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows the next morning, the rooster crows the next morning. Peter said, listen, I'm willing to die for you. And I believe at that time Peter meant that. But how quickly did it go from some distance between him and his Savior to a, a denial? A denial. I think of people who were once devoted Christians. And now they're indifferent toward God and the Bible and church. Many people who used to go to church here even. Yeah, I still believe in God, but I don't think church is that important. I don't think church is that serious. I I still believe in God, but you know, there are many different interpretations of Scripture. I, I don't know that you Baptists have it all figured out right. I don't know that you uh, folks that teach the gospel by grace through faith. Listen, there, there's, there's room for... Wait a minute, what? What are we doing? We're, we're going from distance. We're entering, entering phase two. We're entering denial. Denial. Again, the beating of you. He'll bring problems in your life, both relational and medical and physical, and all, all kinds of problems, and he'll, he'll, he'll hit you, and he'll hit you, and he'll hit you, and you drop out of church. Then he starts throwing you up in the air, trying to get that faith to just blow away. To blow away Satan's attempting to get you to deny, to deny your Savior. Letter C, we see afterwards, he pours on the disappointment. He pours on the disappointment. Look at verse 60. It says there, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake the cock crew, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the words, the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, I wonder if Jesus was not brought around the corner about the time that cock crew, the rooster crewed. Jesus didn't lock eyes with Peter. Look at him and say, Told you so. Told you so. Peter let down his Jesus. You know, Satan's crafty. Satan's crafty. He'll come sit on one shoulder and he'll say, Boy, you know, I think you need to I think you need to go ahead and give in to that temptation. That looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Smoke that joint. Suck down that beer. Tell that lie. Look with lust. Throw it out there. And then after you do it, he jumps on your other shoulder. And he goes, you are a dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing sinner. How dare you? How dare you behave that way? Aren't you? And you call yourself a Christian. You know what? You don't need to pray because God doesn't want to hear you anyway. He's mad at you right now. You know what? Don't even go to church because the people can look at your face and they can see the guilt written all over your face for that sin. You don't even need to go to church. And he 
buries you with disappointment. He buries you with disappointment. You know what he's doing? He's sifting you. He's sifting you. He's throwing you up in the air and he's hoping that your faith will just blow on away. Let me just make sure I put this in here. Your salvation can never blow away. Once you're saved, you're always saved. That's written down in heaven. That's settled in heaven. That's not left up to you. But He wants to blow away that church attendance. He wants to blow away that Bible reading. He wants to blow, he wants to blow away that devoted spirit you have for God. And He wants to make you a washed up Christian with your head hanging on His wall, proverbially. Distance, denial, disappointment. My friend, is Satan sifting you today? This has been his game plan for a long, 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 long time. Let me just ask a question this morning. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor, either right now or I can look back at some time in my past, I can see that pattern of Satan's attempts in my own life. If that's you, as you raise your hand, I know exactly what Peter went through because I've been through it too. I've been through it too. Some of you, that might be you right now. And if that's the case, then boy, how relevant is the message to you today? You say, well, Pastor, what can be done? Number four, notice the prayer that sustained the sifted. The prayers that sustain the sifted. Now, Jesus being God on earth, He, he kind of had a heads up this was coming. Um, he knew that Satan would uh, attack Peter. I don't know when Satan's going to attack you. Because I'm not God. Our deacons, they don't know when Satan's going to attack you. Because they're not God. Our other assistant pastors, your Sunday school teacher, uh, your favorite brother or sister in this church, they don't know when you're about to get attacked. They don't know. They don't know that. Now, sometimes we can see things from our own past experiences and say, hey, you're treading in a bad place, be careful, you're walking into the lion's den. But if we don't know every detail about your life, or we don't know the major things going on in your life, we don't know when Satan's coming after you. Jesus did, though. He looked at Peter and he said, Satan is going after you. He's going to attack you. Jesus knew that Peter was overconfident. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. So, Jesus said to Peter, look down at verse 32. It says there, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He said, Peter, you're about to get beat down by the devil. He's going to attempt to separate all the things I've taught you over the last three years. And he's going to attempt to get that to blow out of your life and get you to go back to being a fisherman. He said this, And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said to Peter, You're going to fall, and when you do, my prayer is that you don't lose your faith. You're going to fall. You know what walking is? Walking is controlled falling. Controlled falling. You know, sometimes you can't control the falling, can you? Sometimes you're walking along and you trip and you fall. You scrape your knee. You rough up your elbows. My son Matthew, when I was teaching him how to ride a bike, he uh, was on some gravel and he was going too fast and tried to make a turn. And those little wheels went sliding out from under him and his knee ate the gravel. And the next thing we heard was blood-hurtling screams. <laughs> you know, Matthew's knee's all healed now. You know what he said to me? He said, Dad, I want to get back on my bike. If you're going to be a Christian over a long haul, you're going to fall from time to time. You just are. You're going to be discouraged from time to time over your falling. 
You say, Pastor, what can be done? You see someone's falling, will you pray for him? Will you pray for him? Jesus said to Peter, he said, you're going to fall. But my prayer is that in your falling, you don't lose your faith. You don't lose your faith. If it's left up to the pastor to follow up on everybody who starts to slip out of church, I've got to tell you, I'm going to miss some people. But what about if we do it together as a team? I've got to say this here too, that Jesus not only prayed for Peter, but Jesus told Peter, I'm praying for you. Boy, that meant a lot to Peter. You've you got to believe that when Peter did deny Christ, and he did go out and weep bitterly in that moment of disappointment when he was just as low as low could be, that he didn't look back to that time in that upper room where Jesus said to him, you're going to fall, but I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. Peter! Get up! Get up, Peter! Get up! Get up, Peter! And i got to tell you, Peter almost didn't get up. You know what Peter did? Peter got back in that uh, uh, boat and he started to go fishing and Jesus had to have a meal with him and say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter finally got back on board. I love James 5.16. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what's it do? It avails much. It avails much. You know what most uh, Christians are tempted to do and they see someone fall into sin, they're tempted to gossip about it. Well, uh, we need to pray for brother such and such. Because he's, uh, you know, he hadn't been in church in a while. I heard he's having marriage problems. <laughs> we need to pray for sister such and such. I heard she got fired from her job. Are we praying or are we gossiping? How about instead of saying we need to pray for such and such, that we get on our knees and we, we pray for such and such. You say, does it matter? It matters. It matters. You say, well, Pastor, what do I pray? Pray that in, in their time of being sifted, that their faith doesn't fail them. That their faith doesn't fail them. Get on your knees and beg God on their behalf. I love what uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says. It says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're here to help each other. Let me just add this as well, is that uh, make sure you're careful about how you confess your faults or get other people to confess their faults. Make sure you're careful about uh, how you help bear one another's burdens. Do it with a humble attitude where you have confessed first your own sin. Number five and lastly, we see the prize the Savior offers. The prize the Savior offers. The sermon today is to two groups of people. The first group of people it's to are the, those that are being sifted. You, um, you're being sifted today. You really want to pay attention to what I'm about to say in, in point five. The second group of people today here, you're not right now being sifted. Either God, uh, Satan doesn't see any potential in you, or maybe there's a, a break in the action of him sifting you, or uh, maybe that you still need to learn that godly poise we talked about. Uh, whatever uh, it may be, you're not currently being sifted. You say, well, Pastor, how does this sermon relate to me? Here's how it relates to you. Pray for each other. Pray for those that are being sifted. Get on your knees and write down a list and call out to God that their faith doesn't fail. Back to those that are being sifted, let me just say to you today, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. 
Don't give up on God. God never gave up on you. Listen, if you can overcome the sifting, you say, but pastor, I failed in the sifting. I, I blew it. Get back up because God's got something big for you. God's got big plans for you. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 if you're not already there. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. God has some big plans for you. You know, Jesus knew that Peter was going to end up being the apostle to the Jews. The apostle of the Jews. Jesus knew that uh, Peter, just just a few days after he would ascend to heaven, Jesus knew that Peter would uh, would stand up at the Feast of Pentecosts and he would preach a powerful sermon. He would lead the other disciples to preach a powerful sermon. And he knew that if Peter could just survive uh, the sifting, the old God had some big plans for Peter. Look at verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, listen, if you all will, if you will repent, if you will repent and be baptized, uh, you will, uh, uh, what will happen is that you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, that baptism there, I don't believe. If you look at all the baptisms in the Bible, you have the baptism of water, baptism of the Spirit, baptism of fire. My strong opinion to line up with the rest of Scripture is that this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, referenced later uh, on in the verse there. And repent and be baptized, every one in the name of Jesus. Other people have interpreted this to say that it means to uh, be baptized because you have repented. Nonetheless, if they will repent, uh, they'll receive the Holy Ghost. Look down at verse 41. Then they that gladly received His words were baptized. How many were baptized? The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay, Peter. You're in the boat. You're discouraged. You said, I go a fishing. You drug all, uh, m- many of the other disciples out there with you, and you're casting your nets in the water. You can catch fish for the rest of your life, or you can catch souls for the rest of your life. And you know what? Peter traded in his nets for a Bible and for truth. And he stood up at Pentecost and he preached. And 3,000 people got saved at one time. You know what Satan was doing by sifting Peter? He was trying to prevent Pentecost from happening. He was trying to prevent the early church from exploding in growth. Some have predicted the early church to have over 100,000 people that were members of it. wonder what that would have looked like without Peter. Satan knew what he was doing. Satan coming after you today? Is Satan attacking you? Satan sifting you? Is he trying to distance you from, uh, uh, from, from your Bible reading and from church and from God? Is he seeking to get you to deny him and deny your faith and, and, and talk uh, uh, one way at work and another way at church and one way at work, uh, uh, rather one with your neighbors and another way with the pastor? Is he trying to get you to deny your Savior? Is he trying to pour on the disappointment from life's trials and hard times? My friend, if you're being sifted, I want you to know, if you'll let me know, I'll pray for you. And if I do know, I've been praying for you that your faith fails not. If you're being sifted, get up. Get up. Get up. God's got great prizes for you. He's got a great plan for your life. Don't quit on God before you get what it is He asks for you. John R. Rice, uh, in his book he wrote, Asking and Receiving, he tells a story in there that he has a dream and that he goes to heaven in his dream. And again, this is, this is a dream. This is not fact, okay? So let's keep it where it is. I'm not someone who believes that Christians today have, has dreams that matter. Just my own opinion. Uh, uh, God can speak to people through dreams today if he so wants. 
I don't think he does that anymore. But nonetheless, he's capable of it. Um, but he says in that book that he had a dream and he went to heaven and that he's being walked through heaven and there's all these warehouses. And they open the door to one of the warehouses and they go in. And he says, wow, look at all this stuff. Look at all these blessings. Wow. He said, what, what are these? And he said, these are the blessings that belong to one man who never asked for them. Never asked for him. These are the blessings that belong to one man who quit just a little bit too soon. My friend, God wants to pour down blessings on you, but He can't if Satan's able to get your faith to blow away and you're not faithful to Him. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Satan saw the potential that Peter had in doing something great for God. Satan saw the potential of Pentecost. How about you, Christian? Is Satan sifting you because he sees your potential? Is he sifting you because he sees your poise? Is your faith going to fail? Or are you going to stand true? You're going to stand true. If you fail, you're going to get back up. How about it, Christian? You praying for those around you that are struggling? And I don't mean, Lord, help such and such, amen. I mean, getting on your face and really getting hold of heaven on their behalf. Really, really, really praying for them. Hours in prayer collectively. Earlier in my message, I referenced that Jesus was sifted at the cross. Satan beat on Him. And really, our sin beat on Him harder. God collected our sins and laid them on Jesus. Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin. You say, how do I know I'm going to go to heaven someday? You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's really two things you've got to do. First, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to see that it's wrong before a holy God. And you've got to believe. You only repent today and say, my sin... Put Jesus on the cross. And if I can believe with my whole heart that He'll save me. My friend, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot do it. Your good works in the eyes of God are sin. Unbelief is what will send you to hell. But if you'll today choose to believe in Jesus, He will will acquit your crimes. He will forgive your sins. He will dismiss your case. And He will give you eternal life. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I did believe in Jesus as my Savior. I know for sure that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Here's my hand of of testimony in that. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I know I've done that. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you've not done that, you say, Pastor, if I were to die, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know for sure. I'd like to think I'd get in heaven, but I'm not really sure. And after what you preach today, I'm really not sure. Friend, can I help you? All you've got to do is call out to God. That thief that hung next to Jesus on the cross, he he didn't have any good works to get him into heaven, but he still made it. Why? Because he believed. He believed in the man that was hanging next to him. And today, if you can follow the example of that thief, you can just believe in Jesus. Believe that his payment for your sin is sufficient enough to give you access to heaven. And you'll call out to Him. He'll save you. 
Let me help you to do that today. Where you're sitting, where you're at, whether you're watching online, whether you're sitting in the pew, whether you're listening to this later on a CD, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Just say that this in your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin is wrong. I'm calling on you, Jesus, to come into my heart and life and take away my sin. Forgive me and give me a new life in you. Give me that access to heaven and that gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer, my friend, I would like to rejoice with you. Right where you're sitting, with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I know for sure now I'm going to heaven because I've asked Jesus. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? A couple of hands. And if you did, I would just like to say congratulations on that. And I'd like to talk with you after the service. That would be okay. I'll be sitting right there in the back. I'd love to, to talk with you. and Make sure you fully understand that decision and know what steps to take next in Christ. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, Satan, I believe, has been sifting me. Satan has been using his tactics on me currently, right now. Pastor Lejeune, Pray for me that my faith doesn't fail. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pray for me that my faith doesn't fail while I'm being sifted. Many, many hands. Let me ask one other question this morning. How many would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm not currently being sifted that I know of, but I know others that are. And I, here's my hand. I commit to pray for them. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I commit to pray for those that are being sifted. Here's my hand and commitment to that. Lord, thank you for this sermon this morning. Lord, I know studying this week was a huge encouragement to me. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a huge encouragement to uh, those that are here. Lord, not only an encouragement, Lord, an action plan that we don't allow Satan and his subtle tactics to uh, overtake us and, and cause us to trip and fall. Lord, when we do fall, help us to get right back up. Help us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. As the Lord's working on your heart, you can come and kneel and pray. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to come and pray for somebody else who's going through a hard time. I would encourage you to come and do that. If you're here today and you are saved, but you've not yet been baptized, can I encourage you to come and talk to Pastor Mike or Brother Verone down here and We'd love to help you get baptized today. Our baptismal waters are ready. If you've been saved and baptized, but you've not yet joined our church and you're interested in more information on church membership, we'd love to help you to make that decision today as well. Whatever decision you need to make, whether you're in your pew or here at the altar, let's make them for the Lord this morning.